1: Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC, it's your favorite football podcast. Back with a bonus episode on this Monday evening, looking back at the Champions League draw. The last sixteen has been drawn. The ties are set. We're taking a little look through all eight ties, making some predictions, and looking at how those teams set up as opposed to each other at this stage in the competition. This is a bonus episode lifted from our Patreon page and. Over the course of every week, we put at least two extra episodes out on there. Today, we did an hour-long breakdown of all the action in the Premier League over the weekend, and then this as a part two. Later on in the week, we're going to be looking at the Europa League draw and Europa Conference League draw over on Patreon as well. If you do want to join, it would be a great time to get involved. There's always at least two extra episodes per week over there, and as We get into January. Dean's going to have all the latest and greatest news from across silly season. Free trials are available. If you enjoy this Taster episode, we'd love for you to come and join us. The link is in the description. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me, as ever, is our transfer guru, Champions League guru, Rank Guru. It's Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate?
2: Yeah, rank guru these days, not just a transfer guru. Uh, um, okay, yeah. all of them, you know, yeah. Yeah, you're just ladies. you're just covering everything off because we do so many rankings these days of so many different things. Uh yeah, I'm getting my transfer hat on, but um this Champions League draw throws a spanner in the works of what we can actually talk about today. Um and while we've had loads of questions in uh on Patreon and the last uh, 24 hours or so, and we have covered that off in the, the first post box show uh, on Patreon, which is live there right now, an hour of Premier League goodness. We are kind of changing our tact a little on the European side of things because there's so much to talk about with the Champions League and it'll be a missed opportunity not to do a fresh reaction uh, to what's gone on today because there's a fair few talking points, um, good and bad and i think sometimes when you get that freshness of a draw it's nice to to get that out and then within it we could also actually tie in some of the points that people wanted to us wanted us to address on the biggest clubs in europe okay all right let's get
1: into it um i'm going to read out the in full and you can talk, give me your immediate thoughts so porto will be playing arsenal napoli versus barcelona paris saint-germain real sociedad inter milan atletico madrid PSV Eindhoven versus Borussia Dortmund, Lazio versus Bayern Munich, Copenhagen, Manchester City and RB Leipzig against Real Madrid. It is not the world's most awe-inspiring draw at first glance, but I actually really like this. I think this is actually a very good draw.
2: Yeah, I mean, Inter v. is the one that really jumps out at me. Um, that's got red cards written all over it. That's got Goals in it, it's got a lot of excitement involved, and, and there's Diego and Simeone going Diego back Simeone. to the old club, yeah. And then the Diego Simeone factor, too, which could be wrapped up in that red card moment, who knows? Um, but that is one that definitely caught my eye, uh, looking over it for the first time. Um, the second big takeaway is that. The English clubs should be walking through to the quarterfinals here, pretty much. An unbelievable draw for Man City at a time when they're in a bit of a low ebb um, to discover that they're playing what you'd have to consider to be the worst ranked team uh, out of this slot in the last 16. Um, even though Copenhagen have already beaten one side of Manchester this season, 4-3, oh, they'll be up against it to beat Man City 4-3. Um and I think City will be more than happy as they defend their title to be facing Copenhagen and Arsenal too, as they make their reintroduction to Champions League football and sit at the top table amongst all the elites. They'll be thinking, FC Porto could definitely have been worse, definitely have been worse. Um, now, I don't think they should underestimate Porto by any stretch of the imagination, but when you consider what it could have been, I think that that is a very nice tie for the Arsenal. Um, and It's I guess a good my- test for Arsenal, that, because
1: Porto are very useful. They are a solid team. And the Conceição, we've seen them slightly change the way that they play football, depending on the season it's been. They feel a little bit more pragmatic this year. I think that there is that space to expand in terms of, Wenderson Galena, who we've talked about quite a lot on here, and, and there's a you know players in here that can hurt Arsenal, and I think that this is going to be a nice test. They don't play many teams who have who play with the two up top. They haven't played many teams who play sort of the style that the Porto play, and I think it's going to be an interesting test. Obviously, when you're looking at this fresh, we could be talking about very different circumstances by the time that it gets round to February yeah. and March for these ties. But my first thought was, that's quite an interesting test of Arsenal's metal, especially if they're away from home second. So there's a lot about that that I I quite like. Um, The other tie that jumps out for me, actually there's two. Napoli-Barcelona, which right now you'd have to edge Napoli as favourites for, even if they haven't been great, just considering the run the Barcelona are on. And we'll we'll talk about them a little bit more later. But I think the Barcelona will have probably refound their groove by the time that we get to these ties. It's obviously a out of derby as well in, in many ways. So I, I'm a big fan of that as a tie. The other one that I think is really interesting is PSG against Real Sociedad. Now, PSG would have probably looked at that and gone, yeah, okay, we can handle that. But Real Sociedad are one of the best pressing teams, I think, in Europe. PSG have struggled with teams who have actually pressed them from the back and have, have made life hard for the movie scene not just across the course of, course of this Champions League, but also, I think, generally, across the course of this season, they struggle when they can't play through teams. And are one of the team's hardest, I think, to play through. We saw that in their first game against Inter. We saw the way that they adapted that situation for the away leg at San Siro that meant that they topped the group. I genuinely just think you're kind of looking at that and going, ooh, that right now, and at this exact moment, I think is a very, very difficult test for PSG.
2: Oh, so that sounds like your upset watch, mate. That's that's an interesting call. Um Yeah, i, I guess so. Um I think on paper you just automatically go to side with PSG. But it is probably more finely balanced than that. I think you, that that's good uh that's good to point out. I'll tell you what I think I'm gonna do. Where we normally rank things, I think I'm gonna predict things. I'm gonna go through each fixture and pick out a winner. Um and as we go through, we've got a few Patreon questions that are actually relevant along the way. And I think we'll just throw it all in. Should we give that a crack and see uh, see where we land? Let's go with it,
1: shall
2: we? Yeah, let's give it a go. Uh, so first up, Porto against Arsenal. Um, as I say, I, I think it is important that Arsenal don't underestimate them. Um, and I think there's a certain part of me that would love to see a Merdi super show here that um, gives Arsenal a little scare along the way. I find it very difficult to believe that Arsenal won't be able to overcome this um, over two games. I think going away, I think they're away first, which I think is going to be a test of resolve. And then at home, I just feel like Arsenal are going to prove to be too strong here. You look at the domination that we're seeing across games at the moment for Arsenal. It's pretty impressive. Um, if they're struggling to stick the ball away at times, then yeah, I'd agree that that might be a potential weakness in the latter stages of the Champions League. But at this point, um, given what they're going to be up against, I just edge with Arsenal being able to get the job done. We saw recently they, they played Lons at home in the Champions League, saw them off 6-0, they played Sevilla at home in the Champions League, 1-2-0. And I would just fancy them to get the job done here, mate. Um uh, so without much beating around the bush, I am gonna predict that it is Arsenal from that one that goes through to the quarter final.
1: Yeah, I think it's a sensible prediction. Um as you say, this is a good Porto defence and with the overclustering goal, they're going to be hard to beat if Arsenal can't be clinical Literally. here. Porter no, well Porter will, you know, get the you know get get chances and to be honest you look at Merizaremi, you look at Evan Nielsen, you think those are the kind of players who will sniff chances out and who have been putting them away. So it comes down to whether Arsenal have found that goal scoring form by the time that this game this game comes around because it is going to be one where they look at it and go, ooh, if we don't take our chances here, we will be punished. This is you know the stage you expect that to start happening. It's also, you know, what you expect here from from this arsenal side who will look at it and go as you say this could have been far worse in terms of, of who we drew especially with some of the big guns psg inter coming up against them i actually think psg versus arsenal would, would have been a game that arsenal actually might have very much enjoyed just in terms of stylistically uh-huh. but yeah, it's one of those i i think it's right to edge to arsenal based yeah. on the the form that we're, we're currently seeing um, let's go to napoli barcelona and we actually have a couple of questions about both sides so th- let's go with them before we talk about it um we have one from jill it says victor Ossimen and his assist at the weekend just ridiculous napoli winning with varadona and Ossimen on the score sheet and i was like oh we're back we're back mm. it's great to see a uh, brilliant brilliant assist uh, ossemen is backfiring and i suppose the kind of Follow-up question in many ways. Jill didn't ask this, but is is Victor Rossum going to be there by the time that this game comes around? Because if he doesn't sign a new contract and we're starting to get into uncomfortable territory for what he's worth to Napoli, is this January a potential place where someone could really unsettle him by, by putting a big bid in?
2: I mean i think the question you have to ask there is who is going to go and spend a hundred odd million pounds uh in the january transfer market i personally don't believe that arsenal or chelsea will go and do that um and if it's not arsenal and chelsea then i don't believe that there's anybody that can go out there and buy aussie men in the next transfer window so that's where my hunch would be right now like sat here mid-december uh ahead of the transfer window wondering what the future will hold for aussie men and obviously now that napoli have got this draw they'll be even more desperate to be holding on to him. To, because I think they'll genuinely believe they've got a very good opportunity here to beat a Barcelona team as long as they are in this same form that they are right now. I mean, the chances of that being the case are probably pretty slim. But as we look at it right now, it does look pretty open. Um, yeah, Napoli got the, the 2-1 win at the weekend. And Ozyman, um scored a kind of trademark header, really. I mean, in terms of the way that he... Arrives in the box so perfectly on cue, and just don't expect him to really miss from an opportunity like that. And the the power is just just too much, really. But then, obviously, it's the the assist from Ozzy Men as well for the second goal. It's just outrageous. You never seen somebody somebody do so many keepy ups in a box in your life when the ball's still in play. It's like he's just juggling it, and then. He's got purpose to it all and manages to... That's
1: it. his- It's not showboating if there's a real purpose to it.
2: No, there's no it's not. It's, like if, uh, it's kind of to keep it under control. I don't think he's deliberately juggling the ball there against in his Cagliari game. But he keeps the ball and he, it turns into keepy-ups. And then he, he's got the drive and determination to turn it into an opportunity that in squares across goal and they actually stick it away. As I say, like, I think this version of Barcelona will struggle to deal with that. There's no doubt about it. But I'm just not convinced that by the time we get to this fixture that we're still looking at the same situation. Um, now, we'll go to the, the other side of this and address the Barca situation because they obviously um, are not ripping up trees at the moment and they're actually in well a bit of a state of flux, really. I don't really know what you would call it. I mean, I wouldn't call it a crisis, but I would say that they… Really, were miles off that. No, not miles off it by their terms. I mean, in general terms, um, as we're talking now, I mean, what, seven points off the top of La Liga. Um, that could grow if, if Girona uh, get a win at, with the game in hand that they've got in the bag. Um, so that that's by their standards, yeah. And defending a title, I guess you could start to call it a crisis, but runs a bit deeper than just one result. And I think that that's the the concern right now for... Xavi, um, as pressure starts to pile on him, uh, lost to Royal Antwerp in midweek in the Champions League and a result which didn't ultimately matter because they've made it through. But losing 3-2 to Antwerp is is not great and lost 4-2 to Girona the game before that. Jorge, uh, one of our regulars, uh, has got in touch and said, I'm going to go on a full Barca rant right now. I cannot believe that Barca fans, and especially the toxic ones on X, are saying that the person at fault for Barca's run is Xavi. The Antwerp game showed us a quick summary of the season. All the goals are individual errors by players. There's nothing Xavi can do. These players are failing Xavi, and I just can't believe people are turning their back on the manager so quickly after what he did last year, after a period of not winning La Liga, even with Messi. Barcelona have the most missed chances in the top five leagues with 44. I think this is key, actually. The expected goals is through the roof. We should be winning games by four goals. How is it Xavi's fault that Lewandowski is on a bad run and can't score a goal? I may be biased because of my love for Xavi, but that Valencia game at the weekend showed how much Xavi's tactics get his players' chances for goals, but the players are failing him. People are putting 100% of the blame on Xavi, but I would say 20% of it's his fault. 30% is the players and 50% is the board's fault, especially with the poor planning of not signing a pivot worthy of Barcelona's system. He says, am I just blinded by my love for Xavi? And I don't think it is that. I think that you've got a valid point in raising concerns over this Barcelona system and failing to convert chances. I mean, Lewandowski was great last season, uh, seemed to be everything that they needed. There's no doubt that you look at his body language now and it's not giving off great vibes and I think half of it's frustration in himself. And half of it is an expectation that perhaps the team around him should be doing better. And I don't think that that's a great place to be. Xavi will complete, continue to defend all, all of his players. I'm, I'm sure there's no doubt about that. And players within the team like João Cancelo continue to come out back in the boss and saying, look, I'm not just saying this, we're all behind him. Um, and actually, mate, when it comes to a prediction for this match, my early prediction is going to be that Barcelona win this game. I think it's so important to them. And it's kind of impossible to see. I, I, if the game was being played this weekend, yeah. I'd edge with Napoli. Yeah, correct. The fact that they've got two months to come through this, I'm going to predict that this sways in the opposite direction and that actually Barcelona are okay by them.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's obviously been discussion today and there's, there's leaks and, and speaking in the media around what Barcelona are going to do in January. They've talked about potentially trying to sign Felix and Cancelo on permanent deals, maybe not now, but, but definitely in the summer, and also looking to improve that midfield situation if they can sort their salary cap out. Now, I'm not quite sure how they're going to do that, but if they can, if anyone can, Barcelona can, because uh. we've seen them do it before. But there is definitely a feeling that something needs to change. Now, I think obviously Vitor Roque is coming in and we're going to end up talking about whether he can be the person that sparks Lewandowski back into life. One with his own performances, but two, there is credible challenging for that centre-forward spot if Roque comes in and hits the ground running. So Lewandowski maybe needs that push, maybe needs a little bit of competition in order to keep himself at the top of his game. And right now, I think even he would admit that he's not playing his best and therefore maybe something changing a little bit around him is what he needs to actually hit that trigger again. Now, obviously, he's also coming towards, and I'm not saying he's at the end of his career, but he's coming towards the end of it. We are in the the last stages of Lewandowski's career at the very top level, you would imagine. And perhaps Father Time is just catching up with him in in some ways, but it doesn't really feel like that. And I think that actually the performances that we're seeing aren't just, oh, Lewandowski can't get to these chances anymore. It's not that there is a physicality holding him back from his best work. It's actually just pretty... Yeah, you know, it just feels like a bad spell of form, um, and and equally, I do think Javi has to take maybe su- slightly more responsibility than Jorge is saying here. It is ultimately his job to decide who plays where and what. The individual errors in the Antwerp game were players who who have come into that side. You have to make sure that people are comfortable and in, in the spaces they need to be in. And I think that whilst you can be like his players are letting him down, I absolutely don't disagree with that it is an issue of making sure that those players on the pitch are the ones in the right frame of mind to perform. I also think, you know, you look at the situation with the fullbacks that period where it ended up with Cancelo playing left-back and Alex Balde coming out of the side. I found that quite uncomfortable considering how good Balde has been. Um, And I think the way when you're looking at things and trying to sort things out, that is also part of what Xavi needs to learn as a manager. Now, I think he'll get there. And I do think that Whilst there are question marks over some of the decisions he's made this season, most of them have been reasonable, if they have, even if they haven't paid off. We're now getting to that point of thinking, okay, now it's a first real test of what your metal is here. Yeah. And he needs, to, he needs to come through that. And it's, it's very easy to be like, I'll oh, sack the manager as soon as there's a bad run of results. And we talk about this quite a lot. But I don't think that's the answer here for Barcelona either, especially with no obvious candidate to come in and take over. So actually, this is a question mark of trying to grow with your manager, I think. And if anyone has earned that right at Barcelona, you would imagine it's Xavi.
2: So yeah, yeah, you would think so, might. I'm Um, not sure where I'd stand. As
1: as with you, I think Napoli right now are the better of these two teams. But having said that, it is also difficult to to look at it and go, okay, this is this is one way traffic. And it couldn't change by, by February. So I'm going to just remain on the fence of this
2: one. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry about that, mate. Arsenal and Barcelona are through to the quarterfinals.
3: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. Ed Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty-nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
3: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
2: PSG versus Real Sociedad. Um, you already raised the reason to put this on upset alert. I, um, think, I think
1: right now Real Sociedad wins the game.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know what? I think, I think so too. I mean, I talked at the start of the season, and we've talked various times since, that I prefer this version of PSG um but that's because i didn't like some of the characters within the last psg squad and there's no doubt that the last psg side from last season were better equipped to go and make a decent attempt of of trying to win this trophy um of all the recent seasons this is not the one i'll be backing psg to go on and get to the final and i think you might be right in saying that maybe we shouldn't even expect them to get past this one. Actually, no. We should expect them to get past this one because of who they are and who they've got. But I think we should have a lot of reasons to doubt them actually getting over the line here. So let's let's go all out on this one, mate. Let's back Real Sociedad to actually do this. Yeah,
1: I, I think that's fair. I mean, we've just seen this Real side, or La Real side, I should say, go to San Siro with Giuseppe Meazza because it was Inter. Um, and pretty much shut Inter out of the game. It was a bit of a nothing occasion in many ways, in terms of the game itself not having loads of chances. But that was a game that Inter needed to win at home in order to win the group. And they couldn't break this Real Sociedad side down. And and ultimately, that's a very, very impressive thing, considering that Inter might well be the form side in Europe right now. Um, now, we have yeah. one from Justin here. He says, Inter with another good performance against strong opposition... Do you actually think Juve can stay in this title race or is this the point where Inter starts to pull away? I mean, from basically the get-go, they've been the side in Serie A this season. And when you're kind of looking at that four-point gap now and the way that these two sides are set up, there is nothing that I'm watching that convinces me in any way that anybody is going to catch this Inter side. So I think that that's that's where we are. That's where we've got to with them. But when we're talking about this game and the PSG Real Sociedad game, we'll come on to it straight afterwards, there is just an element that when you're looking at a team that are that good and that consistent in their team, and, and Real Sociedad have gone there, yes, it was a rotated Inter side, fine. But being able to play like that against them twice, I think Inter right now are our best side than PSG. The only flip on this I would give is that PSG, I think, will grow. And I think as they get more and more time with Enrique, and I think they feel far more like a team than they have in a couple of years, maybe that's the change that they need to actually you know, develop and perform at this level in Europe's top-tier competition. Maybe that's the, that's the trigger point, if you will. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, I'd give it to Real Sociedad, but I am quite intrigued by what happens between here and
2: February, for this PSG. Team. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously once we get towards close to the time people we will do a ranking of the Champions League last 16 and we'll uh we'll consider this when we go back through it to see how this fared. Um let's move on to Inter Milan versus Atletico Madrid. Look, Inter Milan got to the final last season. They are a much better team now than they were then. I think they're you know all around like as a team, like as I feel they've grown a lot across this calendar year. If you go back to Jan where they were, how they improved to even get to that final and how they've grown into a side that you're almost expecting now to go on and win Serie A this season. Uh, Lautaro and Marcus Turam have built up an understanding up front that is going to be really hard to combat for anybody. Now, look, if anyone can uh, put up a resilience, we know it could be Atletico Madrid. But we did get a question in, didn't we? Talking about these concerns around Atleti's away form.
1: Yeah, Enrique Vrijalva says, how can Atleti be so bad away from home? 20 straight victories in home games and three straight away losses. It doesn't make sense to me. I know playing at home gives you a boost, but the drop-off shouldn't be as big as it has been this season for Atleti. We're now eight points away from Madrid with a game in hand. If we continue with this form away from home, it's going to be very difficult to be in the title race in the next few months. I'm hoping Samu, scores tomorrow, a couple of goals and helps stop this Girona side. A funny one. You might need them to win the league if uh, if you're not going to. So uh, it's good. it's sort of a, a toss up of interests uh, at that point there. But yeah, it's it's one game. This obviously probably the obvious standout tie of the round. Fact, the Simeone factor is amazing. Inter have been very very good at home. Atleti have been pretty poor on their travels. And then you know, the wonder, oh, it's very hard to beat Atleti at all. So this is. The tightest, I think, of the ties. Um, I like this athletic side a lot. I really like what they're doing. I have a, a lot of faith in Simeone to get this right. And it's also important to, to kind of call that whilst there is obviously that sense of Atleti being athletic, they have been more expansive this season. They have been less, you know, wedded to the old Cholo ball, if you will, or Cholismo that, that we saw in, in recent years, but they can turn that on. And whether that's going to be a big factor here, it is worth pointing out that Simeone loves Inter and Inter loves Simeone, so this is not a grudge match, and it probably shouldn't be framed as such. This mm. is, he will be given a, a an incredible welcome back to the Meazza because they are such a fan. He was the man touted as taking over when things did look a little bit rough for Inzaghi a couple of what, years ago, a couple of months ago. There are there have been periods where they thought that they might move on, and Simeone is always the man touted. Uh, as for a return to Inter but equally Atleti have have locked him in he is now one of their own it does feel like a a really really well balanced tie this
2: yeah it definitely does Um, and also worth remembering when you consider um, this tie that it's Atleti who finished top of their group and Inter that finished second in their group Inter finished well the same points as Real Sociedad but did finish second in the standings Atleti one group E. They ended up on 14 points, four clear of Lazio in second. Um, and with the form that you always point out from Antoine Griezmann across this season, um, yes, Lautaro Martinez is in sensational form, but um, you've formed your own Griezmann fan club on the ba- back of this season. And um, that tells you a lot because he has been extremely good. Even I have been impressed, and I notoriously. I'm not a Griezmann fan, but uh, he's come into his own since returning, really, to be honest. I think he's just realised that the grass isn't always greener, perhaps, and that home comforts mean a lot, your environment counts for a lot, and that the attachment you have to a fan base can mean a lot too. And I think that all of those things have probably helped him get back to this. To wrap up Enrique's question, Atleti are at
1: home in the second leg because they are group winners and Inter will play... First and the Miazza so mm. that probably works in Atleti's favor and might be yeah. the only might be the thing that would tip this towards them for me. Even though I think this Inter side are brilliant, Atleti at the wonder, especially in the second leg, like, if they can just grind something out, even a you know a one goal loss in that first leg, I expect them to go and, and make a mark in the second. So this is two very very good sides playing against each other. There isn't much between them. Form will come into it when it comes to it, but maybe that just tips it to a 30 for me but i'd imagine you that's might
2: it. disagree yeah i mean my prediction is Inter Milan but um as you say like it's it's fine lines i just think that Inter Milan have that momentum that they built up the back end of last season to even get to that final the pain perhaps as well of losing that final narrowly um that's probably stings a little bit too and gives them even more incentive to go and do this I think they'll have their eyes genuinely thinking, right, if we can get through this one, why not go and do the double here? Why not go and win Scudetto and win the Champions League? Like it could be really special. So I'm going to back Inter Milan.
1: Okay. All right. Let's go to PSV Eindhoven versus Borussia Dortmund. Um, and we've got a question here from Owen. He says, we need to have a conversation about PSV Eindhoven. They are 16-0. and They've scored 56 goals and allowed six in the Eredivisie. This is insane. They have an interesting mix of veterans and emerging talent. And of course, the Yankee Trident of Tillman, Dest, and Pepe. would love to hear your thoughts on this team, and especially the likes of younger stars like Bakayoko and Joey Verman. Yeah, I mean, PSV have been irresistible in the league. They've been so much fun to watch. And also, there is just that sense that they've finally found their groove again after, you know, they, they lost a lot of players who were quite key to it. And Bakayoko's emergence is a direct relation of the fact that they lost Hakpo and Noni Madweka, we talked about in, in the Premier League episode, leaving the club. It opened up a door for Johan Bakayoko to step into this team and he's grasped that with both hands. I, I think he is electric. There. He isn't the finished product yet by any distance of the imagination, but the way that he carries the ball, the way that he looks for opportunities, his directness, makes him an absolute nightmare. And whilst... Russia Dortmund, and we've spoken about them, and especially about what they might possess as a cup team, as a really interesting kind of knockout dark horse. This is a really intriguing matchup for them because of the way that PSC have just continued to evolve throughout this season. The question about this always becomes, which Dortmunds do we see? Because we've seen some of the best performances from his Dortmund side this year and also some performances where you're kind of shake, you're left shaking your head and the, the moment they feel like they've turned a corner suddenly they seem to go back on themselves again and just after we did that whole thing about them being maybe a really interesting knockout team they got boshed out of the DFB Pokal by Stuttgart and yeah. look Stuttgart are a good side and deserve credit as well but you're kind of looking at that and going well they're at the title race they need to focus on these opportunities to, to win silverware and the Pokal felt like the best opportunity to do that season is, especially with the Bayern Munich already out of it and then suddenly you're like oh they've gone and done that yeah. so it really just depends in so many of these cases which which Borussia
2: Dortmund decides to show up yeah obviously the flakiest team in Europe like typically like that's what we've started to see and um, I think that look they've won the group of death they came out on top of PSG Newcastle and AC Milan so they've got to get um, respect and credit for that uh, but they continue to be a side that you find difficult to back. Now, PSV, you might think similarly in a way because you th- like you know, any fans that perhaps are, are Premier League fans or fans in England, you would think, hang on, well, I've only, I haven't only have seen a lot of PSV this season, but I did see them play against Arsenal and they were battered 4-0. Um, now, that was a little while ago now. That's one of the first Champions League matches of this campaign. And I think your point in terms of them growing is important and particularly uh, two players that uh, Owen points out in Bakioko and Veerman. I mean, they've been in such good form in the last two or three months. Uh, I think even back-to-back Player of the Month awards um, for how well they've been recognised in the Eredivisie and obviously it's part of that dominance. But again, with, because of the weight between now and these games playing out, you know, can PSV maintain that? I'm not sure. But also, you're thinking, well, do they need to? Because they they've developed such a stronghold on the Eredivisie table now. They're they're ten points clear already. So, in your words, like the, the title could be pretty much in the bag. What it is, is in the bag. Get, I already called it. You have actually called it already in the bag. Good point. So they've already won the league. So there's not many teams in this the Champions League at the moment that could be confident enough to say that. But you have given that tag to PSV and that means that perhaps they'll be able to rest players or at least be pre-choosing their lineup a couple of weeks in advance for who they definitely want to be available for that Borussia Dortmund tie, which I highly doubt Borussia Dortmund are going to be able to do unless they totally give up on on being in the chase at the top end of a Bundesliga. They can't. Um, No. So... A really tough call. I'm going to go PSV. Yeah, I think
1: right now it feels like the sensible choice. And I think that you can see the growth in that PSV team from the two performances against Arsenal. Obviously, at the Emirates, they were battered, as you say. And then six weeks later, they gave Arsenal a really, really good game in Eindhoven. And you're going to look at it and go, okay, that's a team that have learned and developed and they've continued to do so. They'll win at the weekend, 4-0 away at Alzedad Alkmaar who are a good side in themselves. Yes, they're not the team they were last year, but this is still a good RZ side. It's just so dominant. And the player that hasn't been mentioned here by Owen, but I think is crucial to all, is Ishmael Saibari, who's 22 years old and has leapt into the frame. The way that he scored the goals that got them to the Champions League in the first place, that basically saw off Rangers. And he stepped up in that game and just made things happen. There was a glorious dummy as well. We won't get credited for the assist, but it's all him. And actually the way that this midfield three has the ability to do kind of everything, Saibari, Joey Verman, and Goose Till, they have different options that they can throw in there as well. There's there's more than than just them. But what you're kind of looking at here in in this is is a team that can mix and match. To play things. This was a very, very attacking lineup. They're three players who could all play as kind of advanced eights, maybe tens. If you put them in that situation, but they're comfortable enough doing all the different roles that it makes them very difficult to, to actually mark because they can just rotate at will to cover for each other as they move around. And that's a very, very special skill to have in a side. They've got all of this time here almost to, to continue to grow into the league, obviously but also to, to be able to mix things up. We're talking about a team where, you know, having Lozano came home this summer to PSV. There was a lot of fanfare made about it. Can't get in the team. And, yeah. you know, this is something that's worth pointing out because they're able to sort of shift around their side in order to do different things against different opposition. And that's actually what I think Petter Bosch has done really brilliantly with in this PSV season. Now, Bosch has a history of getting these kind of games wrong and going all out in them and actually ending up getting all that. But it's also important to remember that he ends up going back to his old club. He'd managed Borussia Dortmund for a little while and you know played some of the most exciting attacking football in the Bundesliga, but ultimately ended up falling short because his teams were too open, if anything. And so I think this leaves this game open and I think it probably it's not the biggest game of this match week, but it might be the best in terms of entertainment i
2: think yeah again like that was a hard one to call and i'm not that confident in the decision i came to to be honest but that's part of the fun that's what we're supposed to have in in knockout football um let's move on to lazio versus bayern munich uh lazio are miles off it in terms of um challenging domestically at the moment they they're not a team that you you'd think would be uh ready to really compete um with the the best teams across Europe, given what we've been seeing from them across this season. I mentioned them already because they came runners up to Atletico Madrid uh, in their Champions League group. But in in domestic terms, I mean, they are 11th in Serie A at the moment. They're 20 points off the pace for where Inter sit right now. Um, And Bayern Munich, like by their standards, obviously, like they're not having an amazing time, um, but it's also not too bad. And Harry Kane, usually is leading them out of any adversity that they seem to come across in their tracks. Big win Um, for them this weekend, obviously.
1: Again, Stuttgart, really, really impressive performance, as good as we've seen Bayern in a little while. Whilst they don't inspire quite as much confidence as perhaps they have in seasons gone by, there's nothing about this game that suggests to me that Bayern Munich are not going to win.
2: No, to be honest, I think of all the ones analysing this one and the next one I'm going to talk about probably need the least because uh, in terms of predicting a winner I am in almost no doubt I'm going like 85% by a Munich win yeah I think you're absolutely right Lazio have
1: been okay um, they got out of a relatively soft group um, obviously Feyenoord but more of a fight than, than Celtic did but there were a couple of big late goals for Lazio including obviously the goalkeeper scoring an equaliser yeah. against Atleti but Atleti saw them off so comfortably in the last game of that group that I have no faith whatsoever in this
2: Lazio side getting past Bayern Munich. So I think we could probably leave that one there. (laughs) There you go then. Um, The next one we've already talked about at the top. FC Copenhagen versus Manchester City. Um, Copenhagen, yeah, pretty much considered to be the worst team left in the tournament. That shouldn't necessarily matter because underdogs can rise to the challenge. Um, This is going to be a hell of a rise um the atmosphere at Parkin for this is going to be absolutely oh, electric it is yeah and so you're going to have to be cautious in this first game that's for sure like they they've got a, they've got to come out of this um pretty composed i think because yeah copenhagen finishing ahead of man united and galatasaray in the groups to to make it through to this stage and that's no mean feat at all to no. actually have made it to this point. Copenhagen no, are a good side.
1: They're, they're a good yeah. side. They're a well-drilled side. They're, they managed to get things done in, in different ways. But this feels like a step too far. And you only look need to look at last year against RB Leipzig, like who we'll talk about in a minute, where City came out of that first leg away from home with a one all draw. and People going, ooh, that's not a great result. Maybe, maybe there's an upset on the cards, and obviously they win the second leg 7-0. So yeah. I think that there is just that element of City coming back to the Etihad just will be too much for this Copenhagen side. And if it's not, this will be the upset of all upsets almost in, in the Champions League. I, I think it's going to be too much for Copenhagen. But I wouldn't be surprised if they get a point slash something very, or they come close to getting a point in this first leg at Parken. Point, because it's not comfortable, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. You know, And have something to cling on to. But I think with City at the Etihad in the second leg, probably just going to be a step too far.
2: Yeah, I think so, mate. Um, Yeah, even if City were to go there and just think, right, let's just come out of here with a draw, um, they would still be content with that. But of course, by the time we get to this point, City could be blasting past everybody again. Yeah, KDB would be back. uh, There would have been a period
1: where Pep has worked out who he wants to play in the different positions and everything will be fine.
2: You would imagine so. And if not, as you say, we're looking at one of the biggest crises we've ever seen of a Champions League holder. Right, let's reel it uh, right towards the end now and go to RB Leipzig versus Real Madrid. Um, a definitely an in interest in tie. Um, I am quite intrigued by it. Now, I have backed Real Madrid to win this competition already uh, in a surprise to absolutely nobody. But I have to say, my prediction for that to happen did take a little bit of a rattle at the weekend. Because David Alaba picked up this terrible injury. Um, not a good sight to see him in the pain he was for his knee injury at the weekend. And out of the rest of the season,
1: out of the European Championships. Difficult.
2: Yeah, difficult, difficult.
1: Really difficult. difficult. We've got a question on Real Madrid from, from Rishi, so I'll put it in now. He says Have you heard of this new up and coming player at Real Madrid? He's a magician who twists and turns like no other. A man who can find a killer pass at will. No, it's not Ada Guler. It's not Hendrik, although he was in the stands. It's Luka Modric. He seems mm-hmm. to be aging backwards because there's no other logical explanation for how he does it. He's now the oldest player to get a goal and an assist in Europe this season. Only the fifth time in his 341 La Liga appearances that he's achieved this. A madman. The main reason I watch football. That was an incredibly good performance against Villarreal, our bogey team. Fede Valverde was incredible in this new double pivot role. Is that his best role? And the only incredibly sour taste from the game is Alaba's ACL injury, the fifth for Real Madrid this season, men's and women's teams combined. It creates an unfortunate opportunity to go and get a young centre-back, preferably left-footed, because this is probably Alaba's career as an undisputed starter at Real Madrid over. Which young centre-backs around should Real Madrid go for? And Carlo Ancelotti deserves a lot of credit. For this season so far yeah absolutely this is a really impressive win this uh, i was i was watching it and thinking well, i was going into the game having kind of looked at this very side. obviously marcelino's back in there that 4-4-2 you're like oh okay around virial have, have kind of sorted themselves out a little bit they they came through a crazy game in the europa league obviously on thursday night they've i think it was before this game he'd had seven games in charge in all competitions 1-4, drawn two, lost one. Not bad going whatsoever, to be honest, considering the state the Villarreal were in. But they were just brushed aside. And even when they threatened to get back into it with, with that Comandante Morales goal, it just felt like Real Madrid had the capacity to just up the gear again and go. And it was very, very impressive.
2: Yeah, I think so too. Um, they've got... Yes, something special about them in in that sense. Um, I don't know where, well, you might have an idea about this, where each side's biggest flaw might come in this one. Um, Madrid, we obviously know if they can get on the front foot and start to find opportunities, then they're going to tear teams apart. But I kind of feel like Leipzig have the potential to do that too, especially in this first leg. What you don't want against Leipzig ever is the game opening out into end-to-end because
1: they will have the capacity to make things happen in that regard. Obviously, Xavi Simons, once of the Barcelona Academy, obviously now at PSG and on loan at Leipzig, has been the player to watch, has been the star man for Leipzig this year. But I think it's interesting the way that this side has developed so quickly to basically centre themselves around his ability because he steps up. Time and time again, but more than that, the way that the team has changed so quickly that you know last season Timo Werner went back and was like, "Oh, he's back! He's playing great football." Now he can't get in the team. Uh, Append has come in in the summer, been excellent. Yusuf Paulson's back in the mix for this. That four-two-two-two that you know that obviously Red Bull have, have become quite famous for works really nicely with this side. I think Bam Gartner was a was a clever signing in the summer as well, in the way that he can play multiple roles, but also has. The ability to affect the game in the final third. I do like these two fullbacks bombing on Henriksson mm. and, and Raul. and the way that they hold things down. Haidara and Schlage started the weekend together, but there's options in that midfield. If this game stretches, then Leipzig have the capacity to hurt Madrid. But it also now revolves around, you know, to go back to the Alaba point: who can actually step in for him in the summer, and what what that in January, and what that looks like. Do they go in? by someone else. Obviously, we know that they're having a bit of an injury crisis in terms of uh, centre-backs, but Militao out at the moment as well. It does kind of leave the question mark as to who does come in and what Real Madrid do about this in January, because we know that that's not a market that they've actually exploited all that much.
2: Yeah, that that is definitely going to become a, a question and something that they'll look to do. Um, People always like to link Madrid with new forwards, new creators, but this changes uh, any narrative because even if you were hopeful that that might happen, I think this absolutely rules it out because they need to now go and replace this spot in the side. Um, so they will. I mean, Ancelotti already kind of intimated this after the game that they'll go and sign a centre back. So. I don't know who it will be. I mean, if in another world I might have thought, oh, Raphael Varane. He could be perfect if he's not happy. But I'm not sure Varane and Ancelotti is the uh, is the relationship that everybody needs to be seeing right now. I'm not sure that what sort of terms those two are even on at this point, or whether it's going to benefit anyone. But you know, there might be opportunities like that one. I know people will expect it to be a young centre half of stuff, but uh, they need they're going to be missing a lot of experience there with Alaba. And I think that with some. Smart scouting, um, I don't mean in terms of playing styles um, necessarily, I mean kind of in pedigree, pedigree to make up for that Alaba um, absence, because that leadership quality is something extremely hard to replace. And you see what happened at Chelsea when they tried to just go for the young centre-backs. There's something missing. Like the one if you were to pick a Chelsea centre back, you'd probably still go for Thiago Silva if you few Real Madrid right now, if you were to pick one that you could get, rather than any of their brilliant young ones. Because they they have that now to get you over the line, and that's what's going to be needed across these last five or six months of the season. It's a long time. It's a long time. Um and it's probably the, the new question. The good news for Real Madrid is obviously the Bellingham factor that exists. Um it's stage that he can take his, um, well, wow, how we're all reading this guy at the moment, he's already a superstar. I was going to say turn him into a superstar. I guess he's probably already considered a superstar, isn't he? Um, but in that number five Zidane shirt, if he could get a Champions League crown in his first season, and um, that'd be pretty special. I mean, Zidane only won the Champions League once with Real Madrid. Bellingham could match that in his first season. Then we really would be looking at the comparisons growing between those two. Bellingham continues to be awesome. Um, didn't think he would be getting this close to being a number nine this this soon, but he can decide games, and that's something that's going to be key, even in ones like this. This last sixteen tie with Leipzig. So I'm still gonna still gonna go with Madrid, mate, to to see this one through. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's the sensible shout at this point. I just. To finish off on that centre-back
1: thing, I wonder if, it depends, you know, if they're going for a a young centre-back who they think can grow into this game as a left-sider, they could do worse than a man who came on against them at the weekend in Jorge Cuenca, who I really do like uh, as a footballer, I think has a a real skill set to develop. But if they've got the money and they want that blend of youth and experience and someone that could end up starting for Real Madrid in that position for the next 10 years, Alessandro Bastoni is there playing for Inter, left-sided centre-back, probably one of the best in the position in the game. Hasn't had the best season in terms of what he's been doing, but I think is going to be in that conversation for the best centre-backs in the world again quite soon. So that's probably the player If you had the funds and you had the power to bring him in and bring anyone in to kind of step into that role, that's probably where I would be going if I was Real Madrid.
2: Yeah, very good, mate. Well, that's it then. We're all set for the uh, the Champions League last sixteen. Don't forget the final this season is held in London at Wembley. Yeah, uh, last one. Indeed, we haven't talked here uh, about the Europa League and the Europa
1: Conference League, and no one will be surprised. I haven't forgotten about those draws. I think some really interesting. Things to come out of those draws, um, but we will be talking about them later on in the week. So uh, they're not going anywhere. We're not forgotten them. They're just going to be taking uh, a little bit of a backseat for now. We wanted to get through the Champions League and, and revisit the questions that are linked to those teams in that last sixteen before we did anything else. So uh, we will be returning to talk about those draws later on. In this week, keep an eye out for that. But for now, uh, all that's left for me to say thank you very much to our Champions League guru, Mr Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. Thank you for all of your questions as ever, and thank you for listening. We will see you all very, very
3: shortly, gang. Take it easy. Peace. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.